Hey everybody, I'm Scott Lees here with my friend Richard Harris for yet another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. We are here with my very good friend on the other side of Austin, Texas, Jean Marie Wilkie. How you doing, JM? I'm good. How are you holding up? We're all right. We're all right. Okay. <laughs> both sound desperate. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're, we're both in like some parenting hell moments, perhaps. <laughs> I'm, I definitely am at the moment right now. So, oh, it's so easy. Yeah, yeah, so easy, so easy. What is it? What is it like having a toddler at home while you're trying to work full time right now? It is pretty much impossible. So both my husband and I have jobs where it requires us to be on the phone all the time uh, and working, and we have a lot of projects that we're working on, customer calls for him. Uh, and so trying to deal with somebody that just constantly says up, 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 wants to see what you're doing, wants to join your calls, chasing around the dog, falling off the table, uh, doesn't listen, doesn't really know words. Uh, it can definitely pose its challenges. Thank God it's been nice enough weather so I can take some calls and go for a walk and that's my piece of the day. <laughs> can you can you, you know, put her in the stroller? Is she, how old is your daughter? Uh, my son. Oh, oh sorry. You're right. Just kidding. <laughs> he's uh, 20 months, so 20, he's okay. not even two, but he's kind of getting to that age where no, 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 and right. all those kinds of things. And you don't want him to become a screen junkie. So it's trying to balance, you know, how much can you, Sesame Street, can you put on, well, take also, uh, right. as well as you don't want him just sitting in front of a TV all day. Right. So, how, so how are you managing your, your time right now? Like, are you trying to keep your calls as short as possible, for example? Or are you trying to limit the number of calls and meetings you're in? Um, I'm curious about, about that. I feel like we have a pretty good system. I'm lucky that uh, my husband and I, so every night we look at our calendars, pull them up for the next day, try to organize it. Beginning of the week, we try to also organize and coordinate our schedules so that there's not too much overlap. And that allows us to have these full calls. And then I also call it out and try to plan different calls throughout the day where I can actually take it on a walk, um, where I can still pay attention, uh, but I'm also, you know, he's quiet. He's able to get out of the house and, and have a different uh, change of scenery, uh, which I think has been really helpful too, that I have the luxury to be able to take calls and, and still be productive. Right. Right. So, um, and have you, have you guys gotten to the point now where it's like, okay, you know, starting in two weeks, I'm going to be on this hour and off this hour and on like, are you trying to get ahead of the curve on it at all? Or are you not? You know, as much as we can, it's tough a couple weeks out. Um, but I would say we try to do it at the beginning of the week. He tends to get customer calls though randomly, so it's a little bit harder for him to to plan, um, unfortunately. So it we do it as best as we can and just figure it out. And we do have meetings, and there are times I want to pull my hair out and. Uh, get a nice adult beverage, but unfortunately, because I'm pregnant, I don't even get that luxury. So, <laughs> oh, you're pregnant again? Yeah. Congratulate! I didn't know. Good timing, right? <laughs> Thanks. Okay, you know. I uh, guess well, it's a good time. Yeah. I'm stuck in your house, anyways. So. 
you, you certainly, I, I, we have certainly learned a whole new art of negotiation in the family. Um, you know, I can How's immediately that? see, I can just immediately see like how sometimes how Kathy and I try to negotiate now, how I watch how the boys do it. So I'm a little bit more conscious of it. Um, and you can see the patterns, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you also do, you know, you, you do get to sort of recognize how appreciative you are that someone is around. Yeah. You know I mean? Like I, I am, I am lucky that Kathy literally can do 80 to 90% or 95% of all the schooling for the boys and I can work. Um, right. you know, that's lucky. Like that is really appreciative of that. So when five o'clock does come and this is over, you know, Richard's done and Kathy's, you know, going to chill out for a while. So the wine comes out. Yeah, very. <laughs> well, you know, Kathy, it's it's vodka, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> clear <laughs> liquid. <laughs> so, JM, tell everybody who doesn't know you um, what your role is right now, and 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 where you're where you're at, what company you work for. Yeah, so I am the head of sales operations at a company called Qualia, and yeah. we are a real estate transaction management platform. So fancy terms, uh, basically we're helping transform the real estate industry and really making the closing process simple, easy, um, effective um, through all parties uh, in that transaction. So. It's an exciting time to, to be in that industry, especially being on a cloud-based software when everyone else is on-prem. So we're pretty lucky in that way with this crisis. Um, so I am always thankful that <laughs> I, I, I got lucky enough, thank you to Scott, to, to pick a company that is really well positioned. So how did you, but how did you get there? Go back even further. How did you even get into sales? And I, I mean, even before your first job, were you, were you doing that, you know, were you the, the girl who always, you know, sorry to be so gender specific, but sold the most Girl Scout cookies in your day, or were you that competitive athlete uh, growing up? Like, you know, when did you, yeah. where did it come from? I was, I was the competitive person that hated to lose and loved to, to win. Um, I was anti-Girl Scouts. I didn't want to be in the Girl Scouts, Richard. Um, so, I'm bad but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, keep going. No, no, just kidding. Uh, but I, but I did, uh, I did always, you know, when we sold the chocolates, I always wanted to be the top seller and figure out different ways to, to kind of, uh, sell as much as possible, even though my parents were very anti-selling. They worked for the state, right? Which I thought was the world's most boring job uh it's it's not but to me when i was you know little eight-year-old jm that's that's what i thought um and then just as time grew on it it was always evident to me that that was something that i really wanted to try and i got lucky enough to kind of stumble across a a, a job that uh scott tried to be a sales rep for um, and, came and ended up uh, actually interviewing and becoming the VP of sales, which how does that happen? Uh, and uh, along the way, I realized that it was the sales piece that I, I still am extremely passionate for. Uh, I love the, the process and the execution um, and just continued that, that love and the development of people. Um, we kind of went into that and then uh, realized that 
all these pieces that I love, I can get that development of the people. I can still be super passionate about sales and I can really deliver and execute on, on the process piece in my current role, which, which is uh, sales operations. So, so I want to, I want to ask a couple of questions. One is just off, you know, when you did go into those contests or fundraisers, right. To sell the candy bars, do you ever remember any idea that you came up with that helped you sell the most? I'm just curious, like what the, is there anything that comes to mind? No, no I don't okay. even remember what I ate for lunch yesterday right now. <laughs> so, so my next question is, and, and I want, I'd like, I want to ask both of you this question because it's, it's fun to understand the dynamics. Um, when you first met JM Scott, what was your moment? If you remember of, okay, I want this woman on our team. She gets it. She knows it. And then I also want to know, JM, what was it about Scott? Like, what was it that you, maybe you didn't even know at the point, but from a leadership standpoint, right? Because I, I want people to understand how to find each other, right? Um, and as you know, Scott's very good at finding, you know, I am one as well. You know, we call them, I call them the disciples, right? He just collects people who just follow him from place to place, right? So I'm just curious about that. So I'll, I'll let either one of you go first. Well, <clears throat> I, I, we have a mutual friend who uh, sort of told me about a company that she knew that was looking for salespeople. And I had already been a VP of sales a couple times at this point in time, but I wasn't working and I'm like, well, sure, I'll talk to anybody. Like that's kind of been my philosophy from the beginning. Like I'll talk to anybody about any role and just see what happens. And, um, I think JM like orchestrated the introduction between the CEO and me after our mutual friend introduced JM and I. And so I, I went from Santa Rosa in, in the North Bay uh, in San Francisco to into downtown San Francisco and, and had lunch with the CEO for like, you know, 45 minutes under the premise of this being an entry level um, role. And, you know, <laughs> would have been like a $125,000 pay cut for me, for me. But after like, you know, a few minutes, I was just like, look, I'm, I'm not here to be an entry level sales rep, but I, I heard, you know, what you guys are doing. It sounds interesting. You're looking to build a sales team. And so, um, just, you know, wanted to talk to you about that. And so Jam was already working there. She was the first, uh, sales rep that, that had been hired. And, you know, from my perspective, it was just like super hard worker, super sharp, um, asks, tons of questions, you know, in a very like humble, eager to learn kind of way, implements feedback straight away, was very good at what she, she did. Um, and we worked together for, I don't know, two plus years at this company, um, you know, became friends, friends, friends with her husband, um, bunch of mutual friends as well. A few years go by where we go our separate ways, different jobs. And then I go get a job at uh, at Quali as the senior vice president of sales and literally like my first phone call basically is to JM and I'm like, what are you doing right now for, for work? I need somebody to run sales ops for me. Um, I've become super passionate about like the marriage between the head of sales and the head of sales ops and starting it right away. And JM was always far superior than me when we worked together at all operational things I always got her help, even though that wasn't her role back then. Um, and she had since moved on and run an SDR team and done operational work and all this stuff. So I, brought, she was my first hire. 
uh, at, at Qualia, right? It's like the type of person that I can, you know, give certain projects to and like get out of her way. <laughs> and she knows, I think, I hope she says that if she has trouble or has questions about things, she'll ask me, I'll, you know, give some guidance or direction. And then I just let her run with it, right? Far, far smarter than me, far superior than me at all of these, these things. Never have to worry about her. I hate him to say this. <laughs> Never have to worry about her, her work ethic or, you know, her attitude or anything like that. Just uh, phenomenal. Like, you know, she knows this and, and we're pals and whatnot, but if I'm going to go start a company, you know, tomorrow, like she's on my speed dial. Right. So. Fair enough. Jim, what about you? What was your impression? Yeah. So obviously, you know, Scott comes in and I'm like, Lena, you, you, what? He, what? He's a VP. Why didn't you, why didn't you tell me any of this? Uh, she's like, maybe he's a little bit overqualified. Uh, but yeah, I would think so. And he comes in and immediately just changes the direction of the entire company. And we actually can start selling. And it was an immediate, um, you know, I, I wanted to work for someone like that because, you know, you knew that he was going to be successful and you could just tell it just oozed out of his skin. And he, you know, was really humble and he was easy to relate to and was, you know, he wears backwards caps and uh, t-shirts all the time. Um, and it's somebody that isn't, you know, trying to be someone that they're not and he loves music and, you know, you can really relate to someone like that, which I think is really important as a leader. Um, and he's also really vulnerable. So he really knew everything that he was talking about, was able to help coach and I could immediately see changes. And so but just really didn't stop. And so I think that's really why, you know, I, I really started to, to love working with him. And then too, as I, I came to Qualia too, kind of like he alluded to, but um, you know, he's a very trusting leader, which to me is something super important to me. I want somebody that, you know, trust me, allows me to do my projects and think of ideas because I am constantly thinking of new ideas and ways to improve something. So I always think everything's always broken. So how do we constantly improve it you, and make it better? How would, and, and I, and I ask, cause I know this of Scott too, but let's say you had to find someone new. How would you try to figure out if they were going to be a trusting leader, if they were going to give you just the right amount of runway to let you stay on target, but, but also let you explore a little bit. Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, if I were to try to think of different ways, I would ask them how they have basically trying to get at how they've managed projects with their teams in the past. Um, so hearing just, you know, the, them talk about a project they were really passionate about that they got off the ground or also understanding, tell me about a time when you had um, somebody came to you with an idea and, you know, how did, how did that idea kind of come to fruition? Um, those would probably be some of the more important ones to just understand, are they going to be micromanaging? Are they going to listen to what you say, give you feedback on, is your idea, your idea might be absolutely terrible. And Scott, what I really like is he will tell you if your idea is terrible, he'll tell you, he'll be like, okay, I'll, all right, I'll go back to the drawing board. That one wasn't good, but I got a million more. 
Um, so I think that you can really easily see just by hearing how they talk about that, um, how they would manage you. So <clears throat> what I want you to do now for us is try to get like super tactical and, and it's really like top of mind for me because I had this conversation earlier today, like a few hours ago. Okay. And it basically is like, if you go into a brand new startup right now, okay. And they, they have nothing like no process, no enablement, no operation. Like what are the first three things that somebody who's brand new in a, in a head of sales ops role should be thinking about and should do? Tracking. So you can't, it's very difficult to go back in time and start tracking things that you wish you would have tracked in the future. So thinking through, uh, what are all the things in a company that is five stages from me, three stages from me right now? What are they tracking? Um, and how do I make sure that I am managing those metrics and at least getting the raw data so that later down the line, I'm not necessarily going to use it, but later down the line, I have the insights I need to actually drive uh, what action. Kind of in the tracking? And I know, it, I know it can depend on what you're selling, but are there some generic tracking things so that we don't just say, go track stuff? Yeah, <laughs> just stuff, you know? Uh, no, so so things like uh, demos. When did you set the demos? Uh, did the demos hold? Uh, how many demos are you doing on there? Um, different opportunity stages, the reason that you're losing deals, uh, the, um, the inbounds that are coming coming in, inquiries that are coming in, how long it's taking reps to actually respond to the, those inquiries. We track, um, track a lot of metrics at, at, uh, at quality. <laughs> yeah. a lot. But that's so where track, you start, right? Tracking, tracking's number one, JM. Like what's the next couple things that the new sales ops person should be focused on? The next one is building process that's repeatable. So how do you make sure that you, you will never scale an organization if you don't have a repeatable process that people have directions to follow. And so you need to be able to, going back to tracking too, you need to track what is the process and then make it really easy to uh, implement and make sure that the reps are following up on it. And then along the same lines, the next thing that you really need to do is make sure that your reps understand and that you're training them and that they're really truly actually implementing and that the the process is really working so that, um, that, that, that last part is something that I think many many organizations uh, fail at and underutilize their their sales operations group um, it's one of the things that you and I collaborated on really early and really heavily um, and I let you run with and let your whole team run with and I don't even know how many people report to you now, but I think it was like eight or so when I, when I left. Um, so talk about the, like the role that, that sales ops can play and perhaps should play in sales organizations. Yeah. So you're, you're saying just in reference to how involved they should be with, yeah. with how, everything. How, how involved and like what specific ways can sales ops uh, participate? What things are they training on? I had the conversation with people before, and they were like, wait, you have your sales ops people run trainings for the account executives? And yeah. And they have this, like, bewildered look on their face. And I'm like, uh, yeah. 
all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, sales ops should be, you know, basically almost like a rep, almost like a sales manager. And so you are, because you are just like a sales manager, you know, you have the yin and the yang and the sales manager is going to go and they're going to coach on, uh, here's the strategy of a deal or here are the things to say, but all the other things, the pipeline management, um, you know, are people executing on the process that you have? Are they continuously executing on the process that you have? Um, is their workflow efficient, right? Are they, do they have an efficient day lined up? Are they planning all those kinds of things? So I really like to be kind of one of the, the managers and one of the reps. And so I, I get extremely involved and think that that helps our team to, understand what's really going on with the reps better as well as really un understanding what's going on with the managers and how we can really marry the two to really make an efficient sales organization that continues to win repeatedly i've got kid drama richard ask the next ask the next yeah. question while no I problem so so how and I, I think you maybe you answered, but I'm going to ask it differently. Where would you draw the line if you had sales enablement and sales ops? How would you? And do, I don't know if you guys have that at Qualia, um, but where do you, because because then all of a sudden now you got ops training enablement who's supposed to sort of train. Like, have you seen that yet, or have you guys just not had to experience it? Are they are they different? Yeah, I, I'd be that's curious. My, I don't know. I'm asking the question because I think yeah. I know big organizations that have that difference. And I'm asking, like, I don't know what the difference is. And I feel like people would like to know, too. Yeah, I, I don't. I think that there's obviously. So a sales enablement person to me is somebody that can really build, build amazing trainings and deliver content and make sure that the content is being used. Uh, that's at least kind of how we have uh, the content piece, at least, is how we have our um, sales enablement D. Um, we don't really have a full sales enablement person, um, somebody that kind of does it as part of their role. Um, but <laughs> I think that most of the training, though, needs to come from the, the sales ops person because they understand the pipeline more and they, they can really deliver that. And the sales enablement person can come in with, here's the content, here's how we can talk about the content, all those kinds of things. But um, I'm also not super familiar with, with sales enablement because I haven't worked in an organization. Um, so I can't really speak too intelligently on that specific one. Do you feel that they're different, Richard? In my head, in my head they are, but it's been so, look, I haven't been a practitioner at that level in a long time. So in my head, you know, operations is, is the data and the metrics and the conversion rates. Enablement is the one who takes that data and teaches the reps how to use strategies and tactics to execute and improve the data. But it could be that I'm micromanaging that process too much, right? Like that it's like, well, Richard, wouldn't you want the person who understands the data to teach about it? Well, it depends. That's, 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 that's where I land. That's my right. philosophy. And, and I did not separate the two out. And so I sort of expect sales ops and sales enablement to be the same thing. And, and the practitioners in the organization should be able to do both 
and fill both roles. Um, and that's certainly how, how I thought about it over the last right. few years and in, in the, in the role, um, at Qualia, you know, I think if you get large enough, perhaps you have to sort of siphon off and get even more specific, but you know, I've right. spent the majority of my time in, in companies who are in year zero to year three or four. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, perhaps I haven't been in the organization long enough to, to see it split, you know, because it has to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Um, I, I think that they're really intertwined and yeah, I, I you know, I, I have a guy that's really focused on data, but I also like to have people that even though they're super focused just on that that one thing and on the the analytics piece and that kind of thing, he's also extremely capable of doing the training piece and um, and he he can own some of that too because I, I think that it gets people more bought into the data. Um, but I think that it is a nature of the size of our organization too and kind of Talk, our maturity. That's my next question. So Scott said you have eight reports. For, for sales ops? I have five. Five, okay. And how many how many sales reps are you supporting with that? We support um, like 60 something. 60 something, so almost one. It fluctuates, per, so it's down right. to that right now. And then how many sales managers also, just out of curiosity? Six. Okay, so how do you, how do you guys, how do, and, and you've been there long enough to grow, right? And it's cool that Scott's there because he's like, look, I know Scott, he'll hire an ops person even when he's the only sales rep. Um, oh, we got a kid coming in, but incoming and it's not Jay. Oh, it's Janet. We have a wife. Hi, Jim. How are you? All right. Hi. We'll talk later. <laughs> Hi, Janet. So, um, how did you know when to add the next ops person and the next ops person? Like, what are you... Is it, a, is it a headcount thing? Is it a data thing? Is it a combination? Like how did, what can we tell people about this is when you should think about it? Yeah. So I don't know how good of a person I am with that. Cause I basically go until I break, um, which probably <laughs> isn't the, <laughs> the best way to do it. But um, that's why Scott I mean, hired you. He's hired <laughs> you just for that. Cause he, that's how he's wired. I think I think that Scott was really helpful and like, hey, maybe you should start like you probably just saw me going back. Ah. Um, no, I, I think that it's once you start realizing that you're you're not able to support the core functionality of things or you have so many projects on your list of things that you want to accomplish that you're just simply never going to catch up and never able to do it and they're business critical things so for example um, realizing hey we really need somebody that can manage these 10 different like business critical items um, but until you get to that point where you have multiple business critical items that are not getting delivered um, and you're just you're you're just kind of you're you're pretty close to there. I, I don't think that there's really. So how do you? So you've got five direct reports on ops, without giving away too much. But what does person A do versus person B versus person C? Because I think that's the part I'm trying to get to. Because I, I yeah. For the people who are in sales ops, are like, when should I ask and how do I ask for it? That's what that's what I'm trying to get to. First person was a. The first person that I hired was a generalist, um, 
when he started. Um, and um, so he was really doing, you know, building of things in Salesforce, but he could also train the reps, have pipeline management meetings. So kind of like um, we were saying where it's somebody that can do the enablement as well as the, the sales ops piece. Um, and then as we continued to mature, as we got more reps that we needed to support and that project list continued to, to grow, um, we, we were able to get um, somebody in another department. So she was actually our office manager, but she was phenomenal and had a ton of potential. And so um, I saw that. And so I said, let me get her half time which really probably ended up being like three quarters to full time, <laughs> but we just positioned it as half. Um, but, uh, oh, sorry, kid just fell. It happens. <laughs> this is my life. Kid falls <laughs> off the table at least once a day. Um, so she was really fantastic in terms of being able to also help with kind of more of the entry level stuff. Um, which we needed, which was a lot of like lead scraping and, and that kind of thing. Um, and so, so that was really good. Um, and then uh, as, as again, the team grew a little bit more, I was finally able to hire somebody that was more of that Salesforce person that could do all this, like more advanced things, right? Not a Salesforce engineer. Um, we don't really need it. Um, we're not big enough. Um, and I don't even know how I truly feel about having a true engine engineer unless it's, you know, you have like a really specific need, but um, she's phenomenal at building flows and, and really detailed stuff. And then later I was able to get, um, we had another need for a lot of entry level finding leads. Our industry is extremely difficult to find contacts. I've gone to hundred different vendors and nobody has them there are not people that these people are not really on the internet and so um i have two lead development reps that are able to dedicate to that so you've got someone who can do some enablement stuff you've got someone on um finding data finding new leads right do you have somebody who also is sort of data cleanliness like that's part uh, of their yes yeah, so the yeah so the ldrs so our lead development reps are also doing cleaning. And then um, one thing I forgot to say, so the guy that came in as the generalist, um, I moved him over to really a, a data role. So he's really become this, you know, the, the data wizard, um, but somebody that is deep in Tableau, BigQuery, um, all those different things and can run, you know, extreme, build extremely detailed Excel reports um and an models yeah. and in those kinds of things yeah. mm -hmm. really yeah. you, right. you said a word that uh has prompted this next question you used the word vendor and this is this is interesting because we have not gotten into this is like our 65th i don't know 60 something if podcast episode um and we have not talked at all about vendor. Right? right yeah just very funny <laughs> we have not talked at all about uh vendor relations vendor management vendor negotiation and this is something that um you know you handle basically where you used to handle at least um okay. you know when, when i was there yeah so um what are some what are, what are some of your tips on you know vendor negotiation and, and vendor relations and vendor management and things like that right yeah i mean the the management of the vendor comes at the very like 
before you even pick it. And it's really, really important to understand how does their team work? How are they with feedback? Will they take your feedback? So an example is, so we have um, Sales Loft is one of our vendors. And one of the things that I think is fantastic about them as a vendor is you can give them feedback and you actually see the feedback happening and their support is answering you you know right away with a knowledgeable and intelligent answer um, versus another vendor that we have and I don't necessarily need to say their name but it's a signing software and I just to have a, a something got disabled somehow they don't know how nobody touched it but somehow it got disabled um, and it took me 10 hours um, of going back and forth on with their support or on hold with their support or talking to their support to resolve it. So I think that finding in terms of managing a vendor, understanding that from the from the get go. And then the other thing that I, I look for in a vendor is how are they in terms of forward thinking. So I want I want to pick a vendor that's constantly iterating and making positive changes on a regular basis. And so that goes into the, the management of the vendor as well, because I know that I can talk to them about it. I know that they're going to kind of manage me as well in the process and you, get me amped. Let's, let's say you're trying to figure that out with the vendor. Let's say I'm, I, I do work for sales law. Kyle must love us because he, he gets, they get more play on our podcast than any other. <laughs> um, and it's, and it's not set up. That's, that's the irony. What, um, what kind of questions would you ask to figure out if they're a good vendor now that you've got this experience, right? Like you've been through this, you, you can kind of look for something. What are you, are you talking to their current customers to ask about how they solve problems? What, what do you ask the vendor or what are you doing to sniff them out a little bit? Yeah. So I'll try to see if I can back channel any current customers. By now I usually can back channel um, somebody, but every, every business's experience is so different. So our need might be slightly different. And so our experience might be different. But um, so I'm asking, you know, what are support turnaround times? How often are you coming out with um, new, uh, you know, engineering pushes? Um, walk me through your last six months of product improvements, um, things like that to really understand how, how, who are they? And what's their, what is their DNA? Um, and then I look at a lot of reviews online because I actually think that they're they're pretty accurate. Um, but but I do think you know the back channeling piece is really good. Uh -oh. I have a I have an emergency. <laughs> this is the first podcast where we've had an emergency. Go ahead, JM. Go deal deal with go, your go deal uh, with emergency thing. Well, what the interesting thing my is my child is bleeding all over the place. You need to go. Yes, she needs, she yeah, needs to go. If you know, if you know Michael, her husband, you definitely know <laughs> JM needs to go. <laughs> JM, thanks for being thanks for being JM, on the show. Thanks. Richard we and I will stay on. Yeah, we'll have you back. Yes. Yeah. All right. Bye, yeah. everybody. Quarantine Bye. life. Sorry Quarantine about life. that. <laughs> <laughs> that should be our podcast. Quarantine life. Yeah, just just keep the keep the recording going for I am. another minute or two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the yeah. first time that, that that's happened. You know, it's bound to happen when you think about it. During yep. this particular podcast right now, my kids came crashing through the front door, okay, yep. and started rolling around wrestling on the floor. This is after 
they were supposed to go on a couple mile run to get some energy out. So I had to pause. Send your kids on a couple mile run. Yeah, How far would you go? Two, three miles. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, student. I mean, they're you know twelve and ten. Yeah, they're, I mean, you know, they're running to school and back and around the block. We they we have it all mapped out. Anyway, awesome. the point the, the point is they crash through the door. I have to put myself on mute. Then Janet, you know, pops in and says hi. And JM's kid falls off the table, and now you know she's got a bleeder over there. <laughs> got a bleeder. There's a lot of things happening in this in this uh, in this episode right here. Yes. Yeah. All we got was Taco Bell delivered while we were recording this. So. <laughs> but hey, oh, I want to I want to come back to this ops stuff, right? Because you're you're big on ops, and I think we should focus on this. And I've heard you say it, but I, I want to hear the the reality of it. As soon as you're hired as VP of Sales, you've heard you say that ops is your first hire. Yeah. Do you care if you have zero reps? Do you care if you have, I need at least three reps? Like I should be the ops person for the first 10 reps? Like in reality, what's that look like in your mind? Um, I don't think you need an ops person if there is no reps. Fair enough. Okay. Right, because there's some work that I can do to figure out what our pitch is going to be, what our message is going to be, right? All the competitors, the objections. We're gonna, there's a lot of this like pre go to market work that I can do, but then I got to bring that ops person in before I start going and, and executing. If there's already reps there, I'm, I'm hiring the, the head of sales ops like as fast as I possibly can. Is and, that a honestly, and honestly, before I go to a particular job, I've already started the process yeah. of seeing who's available. So when, I'm, when I was interviewing at Qualia along with ResearchGate and MindTouch and uh, all these other companies that I was checking out at the time, um, I was pinging people in my network like, hey, sales ops head, are you looking right now? Are you looking right now? Oh, you're in, you're in San Diego. You're in Berlin. You're in Colorado. You're in Austin, right? I was already kind of, laying groundwork right and i was already having conversations with all of the founders expressing you know my my desire and my my need um that to bring my next question what was so not that it's you know written in the deal but is it a requirement if you were to go and take a vp of sales job that you're like hey my first hire is going to be this and i need to know i can get it quickly when i yes. when i say it's time i i, I won't take the job Okay. I won't take the job. I won't take the job unless I'm not, you know, it doesn't get put in writing or something like that. Right. Like, I understand. I, I'm not taking the job unless um, you know, I have the trust to JM's point earlier about, you know, needing a trusting leader. Like I need a trusting leader. I need I need I need a uh, a CEO or a founder who um believes that I know how to build uh a sales organ. And the way that I want to build a sales org is build it right from the beginning. If you heard JM talking earlier, she talked about, you know, how important it is to track things correctly right from the beginning because you can never go back, right? You have all this lost time and this lost data if you don't get it right from the start. And so I, I, I'm trying to build things to scale right away. Um, so yeah, I, I, won't, I won't take the job and, and all of the, you know, VPs and, and uh, you know, managers and directors and whatnot that I counsel and talk to, you know, I, I 
I preach this to them all the time. Make sure you take a job that you're going to have support uh, in a op sales operations capacity. Dog wants to go in outside. So. Um, now, it's, uh, now it's the dog's turn. By the way, uh, I have seen a picture of JM's son. Uh, he, he is okay. He definitely has blood all over his sweatshirt, though. <laughs> so this will be a, this will be a story. We'll, we'll, we'll tell this story to him you know, for years to come. So. Well, we'll just have to play this episode for him. So yeah, the, yeah. And, and the most important part is, oh, my son has blood all over him. Yeah, what's the next question? Like, <laughs> she just. Well, you're, you're sitting there going, do you need to go? Yes, right. she needs to. <laughs> of well, of course, course. But, but she has a husband there. Like, how bad is it? So. Oh, well, poor Mike, uh, you know. Um, I'm, I'm glad everybody's okay. So yeah. what, um, what are other things that you would tell people to think of if they're thinking about like, like I was trying to get into some detail with, with, with JM and she got into a little bit, but like if you have two or three or four people in ops, how do you, how do you see the silos and not that they're silos, but how do you see what people are supposed to handle responsibly responsibility wise, or do you leave it up to the ops person to figure it out? You know, um, I have a couple different categories that I, that I can think of, but really the, the way it would work would be I can tell when certain when projects are starting to slow down in terms of their the execution of them, right? So I might say to JM, hey, we need this, that, and the other, right? And <clears throat> if she could get all that stuff turned around inside of a week, she's a superhero and you know has capacity. When those things become two weeks or three weeks, or the catalog of things starts to back up. Then, you know, I'm having conversations with her like, hey, um, I think you need more people. And she's like, no, 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 I don't. I'm like, yeah, you need more people because this stuff is not getting done, you know, fast enough. And I, I, I'm not telling you that you're not working hard enough. Like, I, I get it. You, you, you need more, more horsepower here. So if we were going to bring in more people, help me make the case to the CFO what specifically is this person going to do that we you know can't do right now right so i remember when you know we needed somebody specifically who's like really really good at salesforce specifically to like build code in there and manage all i mean i don't even know how to speak about it right this is not that's not my area of expertise right but we didn't have somebody who knew how to do that like who had that engineering kind of capability and so at one point that was, that was our ask, like, Hey, we need another head who's, who's going to be able to handle this particular part right here. And so that, that's kind of how the dialogue would go. I'd say, look, you need another person. If I gave you another person or two, what specifically would they do and what skills would they have that nobody on our team has right now? And then that would help me and her make the case, uh, you know, to a, a layer above us to go and get them. And to coin or to borrow a phrase from our friend Rob Jepson, right? Would you try to dollarize that? This person is <laughs> going to do this, and because yeah. they can do this, we can accomplish that. Yeah, exactly. Right? I just want to make exactly. sure people get that part, not just come up with a laundry list of to-dos. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, whenever you, whenever you're making the case to get more headcount, if you're in the, you know, head of sales seat, it's like, okay. Now I need to dollarize it and explain to them how this is going to turn into increased productivity and increased revenue or, you know, um, 
increased metrics as well, whatever, that better accuracy of data, which is going to help our forecasting, which is going to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So Matt, I'm going to ask, how does, what advice do you give? And I know I'm turning this on to you because you've been more of a practitioner than I have been on this. So that's why I'm asking is, let's say I am the sales ops person, but I've got a slightly stubborn head of sales. And that's not you. Like I know you. you, you that's definitely me. That's definitely, I mean, I can yeah. definitely be stubborn. But, but, but to your point, you're also willing to listen, right? What does yeah. a, a sales ops person need to bring to the VP of sales to say, hey, I need help? Like maybe the, like you and JM knew each other, right? There was a relationship there. What's it like when all of a sudden you've got a new VP of sales, you've been the sales ops person for a year, you got to earn that trust of that VP of sales, right? How, do, how would you want to be approached by your ops person just to even ask? Because I think sometimes people are afraid to ask for help. Um, I mean, I think, first of all, I would hope that you can build a relationship with your team where they're not afraid to ask for help. Right. And then if they, if they, if they are afraid to ask for help or they are, or they do just have that like extreme ownership kind of gene where they're just like, I have to do this and you know, it's on me and, and, and everything. Um, you gotta, you gotta be aware enough to look at your team and your people and, and recognize that, um, you know, maybe they're about to break, whether they know it or not, or, um, you know, their productivity is slowing down or, or, or waning in some capacity or if mistakes are starting to happen. You just gotta be aware of, of the situation and, and you might have to bring it to them, you know? And, and so I, I need to be able to, be proactive and be good at it's not not really conflict but like i need to be able to bring up this particular subject that's like hey i think you need more help because this is not quite working as well as it was supposed to or as it was you know a month ago right um and and that's you know maybe that's constructive criticism um it doesn't feel like criticism to me it just feels like me trying to be helpful and me trying to say, well, you need more support. And I, and I haven't, you know, I haven't really realized it maybe till now. Uh, it's on me to help you get it. So let's figure out together how to get you more, more support. So I'm going to ask you one more question. I know we'll wrap it up, but uh, this comes from a conversation we had earlier today on, on someone else's podcast about um, AI. Like your, your prediction was what is AI going to do? Right. Yeah. So AI is certainly starting to birth itself heavily in the ops world, right? Because that's where the data exists. How do you see that playing out, even in the near term? Have you do you see it yet, or are they still in the data collection phase and a data analyzation phase before they can start sort of AI? I don't think, I don't think it's just in those phases. I think it's entered the content phase. Mm-hmm. What you do know? you mean by that? What I mean is um, leaders and organizations are close enough with AI now where they can create or they're trying to create content that's relevant for all of the different personas from all of their different sellers that doesn't require a team of 50 SDRs or 50 AEs to be generating email copy on their own every single day. I think, I think that the organization is trying to own that. And that to me is like AI. It's like the hive mind, right? 
And that's 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 what I'm what I'm. Doing. I have I have a client right now who's using who's using outreach, and um, you know, one of the things that I I saw when I dove in is like every single SDR has all of their own um, you know sequences and cadences and all that kind of thing, and I'm like, whoa, you know, there's a different way to to do this here, like has anybody gone in and looked at what these guys are writing and what they're saying? And I, I dive in and look and it's like, mm, yeah, I wouldn't publish that. You know, I wouldn't put my name on that thing, let alone the company's name. Right. And so just controlling that, that messaging and using all the data that, that you have that tells you when to send it and what words to put in there and what persona to target and all that. And then sending it out uniformly that, that to me, is AI. So I think it's, it's entered into the, the content kind of. Interesting. Era. And so do you feel like, and so didn't, I don't think we've ever talked about it. Do you, do you enjoy the ABM account-based management approach? I, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. do you it, have, you have so, I mean, I, I have, I have a client that has, has this issue right now where they're calling and, um, that there's franchises all over the place and they're just like calling crossing wires left and right. And it's a, it's a, it's a mess, mm -hmm. right? It's like, Oh my gosh, this is a terrible selling experience. It's a terrible buying experience. It's terrible for our, you know, internal and external brand. Um, we've got to fix it. So it, it, it doesn't even feel optional to me anymore. Um, it feels just compulsory. You have to be, doing this so abm is, is is a requirement at this point as much as sales loft or outreach is for the team i think so i yeah. think there's some types of sales where you can well, get transactional sale may not right. be quite abm right right, right. but anything for the long tail but not the short tail yeah not but anything that. anything above that I, it feels mandatory to me yeah yeah cool. well as always it's fun it's always good to see yeah. you brother so. It was different. It was, it was different. I'm thinking yeah. maybe for the cover, maybe for the art for this episode, we just put a picture of Hudson with his bloody sweatshirt up. Rather, than oh my god, that would be hilarious. <laughs> I want to see him a lot of. We we would probably get tracked down for child protective services. Yeah, we would not. We it's probably not good for us. Better not. Better not do that. Yeah, not good for our brand. All right, All right well, man. Have a good thanks weekend. Everybody. Thanks everybody for joining us. Good chatting, Richard and. JM, Always. even though you're not here. Thanks, Thanks everybody. Me. Thank you, JM. Bye-bye.